Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence with psychiatrist Bernard David Beitman, MD. Dr. Beitman is the founder of the Coincidence Project. The project encourages people like you to tell each other coincidence stories. To learn more about Dr. Beitman's work, put Connecting with Coincidence in your web browser. You'll find his book, his Psychology Today blog, and the interviews from this podcast. And now your host, Bernard Beitman, MD. Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence. I am your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. Yes, this is Connecting with Coincidence, CCBB 2.0. If you wish to support us here at Connecting with Coincidence, please like and subscribe to us. Increasing the number of subscribers increases our reach. And those of you who watch us on YouTube, write us one of your coincidence stories in the comments section and we will reply. One of my psychotherapy patients uh, is in her own mind, a princess from Princeton, Princeton, New Jersey. She was realizing that she had built a castle wall between her and her husband. And from behind this wall, she hurled angry insults at him on a regular basis, which effectively shut him down. She was, she was glad to be doing to him what her own mother had done to her. After the session in which we were talking about her taking down this wall, uh, and that was the first time we talked about it. She got into her car, turned on the radio, and this song was playing called Castle Walls by Quinn Lewis. And the lyrics include, take down your castle walls. Our minds are connected uh, in strange ways, in regular ways sometimes, to the, our media. And we are now beginning to track that a little bit more, gathering data to try to say, yeah, this really happens. And you probably know that this happens with you. So mind media connections are part of our current life. And let's take a look at how they work and what they might mean to us. Our guest today is Lisa Honig Buxbaum. She's CEO and founder of Soaring Words, a global nonprofit organization inspiring more than 500,000 people to take active roles in self-healing. A calling on the beach after three sudden experiences with death and illness in her family motivated Lisa to launch Soaring Words and the Soaring into Strength Positive Health Initiative. She is an inspirational speaker, workshop leader, author, positive psychology expert, and intuitive healer featured on Good Morning America, USA Today, and CEO to watch in Chronicle of Philanthropy. She lives in New York City, where it is now 100 degrees, and is passionate about connecting with people in meaningful, synchronistic ways. Lisa graduated with honors from the University of Pennsylvania, MBA Columbia University, and recently, more recently, a master's degree in positive psychology uh, from the University of Pennsylvania, working with the founder of positive psychology, Dr. Martin Seligman. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Thank you, Bernie. It's wonderful to be here. Well, let's start off with um, one of your 
one of your good coincidence stories. I, I know you have plenty of them, but let's let's start with let's start with one of your good ones. Thank you. So I'm going to share a coincidence story that really was a turning point in my life. My 40th birthday was a milestone. All of the .0 birthdays are, but especially after those three experiences with death and illness, I wanted to celebrate. I really missed my brother, Gary, my only sibling who had died of an asthma-induced heart attack two years earlier. So at 5.30 the morning after my birthday party, which was fabulous, I was race walking to the gym 10 blocks from my house. And my best friend from college had been the MC and the party was really wonderful, but I'm going to the gym the next morning and the New York City streets are deserted. And I step onto the sidewalk in front of the Museum of Natural History and I start crying softly at first. And then I start giving into enormous sobs. And I say, last night was perfect, except you weren't there and I miss you. And I'm screaming out to my brother, give me a sign. And because the streets were deserted, I don't normally talk to my deceased relatives out loud on the New York City streets, but it was okay. Just in that moment, when I said, give me a sign, a truck with a giant lavender butterfly silently pulled away from the curb. And this time I'm crying, but in gratitude. And I look up at the sky and I say, thanks, I got it. I had often seen butterflies, especially when I felt the loss of my brother. But as my shimmering gratitude starts to dissipate, my tone turns defiant. And I shout, the butterfly's great, but it's not enough. I'm greedy, I want you. And I take another step forward and I freeze right there on the sidewalk because immediately below my right foot is a tiny red heart. And I bend down and pick it up. And I understand that this is Gary's gift to me and a reminder that he's always with me. And this morning, the timing was so uh, synchronistic and coincidental because this was the morning that after my swim, I was going to sit down and start writing the business plan for Soaring Words. And the heart is the logo for Soaring Words. That is my coincidence story. That, that story, uh, that experience, both with the butterfly and with the heart, must have somehow spurred you on even more because it, you, were, you experienced that right before, right before you were going to write the business plan for Soaring Words. So your heart soared like a butterfly and creating this uh, organization of yours, which is, uh, has, five, has influenced at least 500,000 people, which is a pretty good number. How, how is Soaring Words, which began with this coincidence, which began in part with the coincidence, which spurred you on with the coincidence. How, how are synchronicity and soaring words related in your development of both of those ideas? Well, to me, um, I live my faith, which is Judaism, but I also recognize the humanity and the sanctity of each person. Um, but synchronicity is kind of a guiding path of my life. And the way I fell into uh, soaring words was uh, during the height of my son's illness. And today my son's fully recovered and the dad of a beautiful daughter and has a wonderful wife. But when he was very ill, I would walk along the beach also 530 in the morning, um, crying, praying and singing because when you're a caregiver, you are needed 24 seven. And during this walk, I was singing and just doing my prayers and the name and feeling soaring words came to me from above. 
And I heeded that call. I, I knew, I saw my whole life flash in front of me. Uh, this was like, I, some people, a lot of people talk about near death experiences. This was a near rebirth life experience. I saw my whole life come in front of me like a red taffeta ribbon. And I saw all the things that it's taken the last 21 years to build with soaring words. But in that moment on the beach, I, I saw it and I accepted that call. So I knew why I was born. I knew that all the things I had done in my life, being a candy striper as a young girl, helping people in hospitals and being the person who was on a lot of not-for-profit boards, helping, doing, using marketing to help organizations, to help people. I knew that I was being led to this initiative. And I knew that there were so many other people that had trauma, grief, tragedy, setbacks in their life but I wanted to inspire them that that, uh, that that inner wisdom, that inner strength, that inner knowledge was there for them if they could tap into it. So that's, um, it's all the, connected. The inner knowledge that you're more specifically referring to now is walking along the beach and being inspired, I'll say, by something, inspired somehow by something he's from above is what you said and you mentioned judaism it's very important for us uh, human beings to have some idea about what that means to have some idea come into our minds from someplace it's almost as if a somebody is speaking to us uh, i i like to think sometimes we have these uh these headphones on which but we don't know we have them and there's information coming through these invisible headphones into our minds it and sometimes i think it's an antenna that we pick things up for just because i like to have more physical metaphors of things how do you understand your this idea of soaring words being put into your mind along the beach during your caregiver uh 5 30 in the morning walk along the beach um, well, my dear friend and colleague and one of my mentors, uh, Dr. Richard Tedeschi, he's one of the pioneering scientists who coined the term post-traumatic growth. He talks about the five stages of post-traumatic growth, that 67% of people, after they've had a setback or a horrible thing happen, they experience these five domains. And two of them in particular answer your question. One of them is a heightened sense of spirituality, a heightened sense of sanctity so for me i consider that god in this story and other times it's just that inner knowingness but it doesn't matter what you call it because the labels for people who don't believe in religion with a capital r tend to create distance and i'm all about creating connection to someone's inner wisdom and to the people in their lives their chosen family their community and to the greater universal flow so this heightened sense of spirituality is often augmented after people have a setback, when you're at the bottom of the bottom. And then the other domain is a sense of awe and wonder. And you talk about in your book, which is such a great read, I highly recommend it to everybody, Thank of Thank this you. feeling of being part of something larger than yourselves, but also to, to just pay attention to you call it human GPS, to really be there, to be where you are. And you can't be there, you can't tap into your human GPS if you're doing 20 things, multitasking, totally stressed out. It's much easier 
when you uh, are a little open to being open. So that's how I experience this connection with the antenna. I try to, when I'm walking down the street, not be doing 20 things to just be walking down the street because then I can receive more messages. And as you know, as the Coincidence Cafe man and as a leader and expert in this field, that when we're open and receptive, that's when it comes to us. You're emphasizing, uh, and another way of describing it, uh, being in the now, being here now. Now, one of the funny th things about uh, words is how they can be hints. And if you look at the word nowhere, uh, it has in it now here. So being nowhere is being everywhere, and being nowhere is also being in the now and being here. Wow, I love that. And actually, uh, this past weekend, I just went to the Whitney Museum of Art where they had a beautiful exhibit and they had these stickers and this says uh, Hineni, which happens to be Hebrew, but this was a non-Jewish artist who put this initiative together. And Hineni is like, here I am. And um, I bought like 15 of them <laughs> because I just, I think that's what you're talking about to be now here, here I am, to show up for ourselves in the privacy of our thoughts, our aspirations, or just being with ourselves when we're brushing our teeth and appreciating that. When my children were younger, they're both grown. I used to always say to them, you're so lucky because you always get to hang out with such a cool person, such a wonderful person. And that idea of self-nurturing and loving yourself and being with yourself is very difficult for people. Um, women have been socialized, women of certain ages have been socialized to just be caring and be good and be of service. Different cultures have been taught to be submissive, to not have needs, that it's wrong, that it's bad. But whenever you are with yourself, you are in good company if you can accept yourself and just be with yourself now here. It's a beautiful practice. I'm, I'm struck by Hineni. Uh, I don't know enough Hebrew, but uh, when Moses was at the burning bush, uh, is that what God had said, Hineni? I think this, um, I wish I had Rabbi Google on, I would check it. <laughs> Hineni, I think, is um, when Adam and Eve are like running out of the garden and they, you know, they're like, you know, God is like, hello, I saw what you did. And it's <laughs> here I am. You know, but it's also huh. throughout huh. history in terms of today in, in our world with all the social unrest and, and old systems that are being questioned and uh, new paradigms put into place. Hineni, here I am. Um, you know, there's this thing, the bystander phenomenon, where if each one of us thinks that someone else is going to call 911 or someone else is going to go over and help the person who's having who fell on the sidewalk or who was in a car accident if everyone thinks everyone else is going to do it then we're we're not helping be part of this human web of connection and support and goodness and um that reminds me of the story um getting back to your human gps theory which i really loved you explain everything so accessibly in your book 
And there were just so many light bulb moments. I wrote a lot of notes on many pages in the back of the book. Well, that's, I, would, I, I like hearing about just what thoughts that book and other ideas stimulate, but please go ahead. So I was driving in rural Pennsylvania with a friend and my husband and one of my sons was a baby at the time. And we were on this deserted road and she was driving and um, there was a motorcycle that had wiped out on the side of the road and there was a lot of blood. And this was, I guess, in the 90s, um, kind of around the time of the AIDS crises where people were really um, very aware of touching blood or bodily fluids and touching other people. But I just jumped out of the car and took the guy's helmet off. It was this, like big helmet. And like he was choking in his blood. And this is a Hineni story or this is a be here now story because my friend said afterwards, she never went on that road. And if we had been there like 10 minutes or even three minutes later, he might not have lived. So I'm not making it that this is about me but it's about, there was an opportunity. We could have just, she did drive by and I screamed, stop. You know, and I jumped out of the car and you know, that's what it means to really be plugged in, I think. Yeah, and that, that window of time when you take the wrong, wrong route sometimes, or it's 30 seconds on either side. Uh, Deepak Chopra's life was changed by a 30 second interval. Uh, when he when he came out of a men's room and ran into the uh, the founder of transcendental meditation and from there came a, a whole new life for him from going with an endocrine being an endocrinologist to becoming the person that he is now a major meditation teacher and spiritual leader in the world and those those things seem to happen to people, that's the probability guys say that happens, that'll happen a lot because it's gonna happen. And I get in, I have trouble with that. Um, but here you were taking, I like taking the wrong route that's and ending up in the right place seems to be a thing that happens pretty regularly and makes you do the kind of thing you mentioned earlier. It makes you feel awe and wonder uh, and it makes you feel like you're connected to something greater. There's spiritual something is part of you. And that's part of what uh, is so amazing and wonderful and useful about coincidences and synchronicity. And one of your one of your uh, coincidence experiences has to do with uh, what some people call the library angel or book angel. Uh, tell us about I, the stories with the, I'm walking along and what happens, but the, I'm in a library or I'm, I'm in a bookstore, a book hits me on the head. I mean, it kind of <laughs> stuff like happens like that. <laughs> Who are you? Like what happened to you? And right. so you have one of those, tell us about it. Yes, mine, uh, I was in Barnes and Noble on Broadway on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And I am a book junkie. I have thousands of positive psychology books and books about love and connection and inspirational stories and um, just always learning and always curious. So we were going to be going to Montreal for a couple of days over Labor Day weekend, my husband, our younger son and myself, and I needed to get some books because I have to have books. So, and I like to read books and hold books and write in books and mark them up. So um, I'm in Barnes and Noble, I'm going up the escalator and I look over to the left and a book is flashing. Flashing? I mean, what do you flashing mean flashing? light. Now, of course, no one else could see the light. That's what I'm asking, yeah. I saw this light 
emanating from the book, almost as if the book had been backlit and the batteries were out. It was literally flashing. So I said to the book silently, I see you, I'm coming. Because a book had never done that before or since. So I went up the escalator, down the escalator, went up to the book and I pulled it out and it was Flourish by Dr. Martin Seligman. Now I had gone to the University of Pennsylvania as an undergraduate, then I got my MBA and had a really great career in marketing and advertising. But I bought this book and I said, I guess I'm supposed to read you. Now over that weekend, it was a very bizarre, um, like if this were a movie, the, the music would become very ominous and dramatic right now. They were predicting hurricane warnings in New York City, which that was before the global disaster of the week, um, you know, global uh, climate change and so on. So it's just this crazy time. And we got out of town and we're in Montreal and I'm reading this book. And at dinner, I say to my son and my husband, I'm going to go back to Penn and get my master's and apply positive psychology. There's this program. And they're like, you work 50 hours a week. How can you go get another master's? By the way, you have a master's. But I was called to this book. And uh, I applied to the program and got accepted. And I had already been running Soaring Words for 11 years. But what I realized is all the things that I had been doing with Soaring Words were based on positive psychology frameworks and interventions that are empirically, scientifically valid, but I just didn't know it. So when I went back to Penn, I got the academic training and the framework to forward my work. So that was a real synchronistic story about a library angel. I've never heard one with the book flashing. I, I've had the other ones, but that's... Fortunately, it didn't fall on my head. <laughs> well, that's, that happens too. Uh, and, but this one, this pay attention to me kind of book, uh, that's, that's a good one. And I like, I like getting these subdivisions of the general category of library angel with uh, which Arthur Kessler uh, named library angel. Uh, yes. Now, now there's uh, I, some people I do too call it internet angel. You can be looking on the internet and mm -hmm. stuff shows up. I mean, internet's a lot, a lot of problems, but there are some interconnections that the internet helps us experience, and something something like what happened to you. But this, there's two important points that I think uh, our listeners might get from uh, both your your heart story. Uh, early on, and from uh, this uh, this Martin Seligman fl flash, <laughs> Martin Seligman flash by you book, um, because you can see a heart at your foot, you can see maybe a book flashing, which is a little, which is a odd thing, or a book falling out and and, and right in front of you, um, or you're just drawn to a book. That's a human GPS kind of thing. You're just getting pulled over to where the book is without knowing why and your hand moves up and you pick it those are things that get you to a place the heart the book but you bring to it an interpretation of the meaning of it for you right now yes. you bring your life your experiences to that particular incident and so it becomes something more than a flashing book and a heart underneath your foot because you bring meaning to it you bring your personal meaning to it what do you think about that i, 
I call that open to being open. It's just being uh, supple or in nature, we talk about tensility. You know, it's the bamboo tree moving in the wind and not being rigid. You know, it's those trees that are really big that look like the like badass trees, but those are the ones that don't do well in a storm. So um, I just feel that because I expect the synchronicity and the coincidences and because I honor them and I respect them, that I know that the body and coincidences and synchronicity, they're very important uh, guideposts along the way. So um, other people might be like, well, no, you know, I'm just making it up. But the truth is that um, even the Templeton Foundation, you know, which is a very uh, prestigious research organization, they say that 50% of Americans and North Americans have reported having this knowingness or these incidents that have happened to them. And when I was invited to join your circle of coincidencers, which is in such a life-changing experience also, I just said, okay, like now I wanna have more coincidences and I wanna be more receptive and more magical things are happening, uh, more synchronistic things are happening because I'm not trying so hard. Um, there's different situations where I wanted to present it something and I just put that intention out there, but then I left the space and the people are coming to me. And that's a different energy than working so hard and trying so hard to make it happen. You've just mentioned a, a vital principle in all this uh, that a lot of people uh, talk about, but more people need to hear about it. The idea of having an intention Yes. and then letting it go and there there are way different there are different ways of thinking about that but i think about it as you formulate this thought in your mind and you hold it for a bit for a while as something you want but then something happens and you said it gives you space it provides space i think that's right and what goes out when you let it go, really, it goes out into something. It's not just not there because we can't see it or we can't think it or can't feel it in our minds somehow. Uh, the term thought form seems to fit this idea where you send a thought form out, you let it go, bye-bye, bye-bye, say bye-bye, 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 but it's not gone. And I, I say it's out there in the psychosphere, our mental atmosphere that surrounds Earth. It's, it's, uh, it has both energy and information in it. And we are exchanging energy and information the way we exchange carbon dioxide and oxygen with it. We exchange energy and information, put it out there, and we absorb it back. So when you put that thought form out there and there's somebody else who could be receptive to it, then kind of gets it with i i don't I know or they kind of find their way to a place where they can say oh that lisa Bucksbaum, maybe uh she would be interested in this because you've put that out there i had an experience um after dance because I, I i love to go to dance and i hope that continues uh, i was in a one of our uh, all, uh one of our kind of organic grocery stores called integral yoga uh, and and uh 
I started talking with someone and just asking her about the difference between English cucumbers and uh, regular cucumbers. And we got to talking and it turned out that she'd seen me at dance. I hadn't seen her. And she put out the thought in the store of wanting to talk with me, but I ended up initiating the conversation with her. Yeah. And so I think that thought form of hers then influenced me to start talking with her. It wasn't the sure. only reason. That, but we don't think that way. And that's, I'm so glad you say sure, because we don't think that way. And it, it can give a lot of traffic of ideas out there too. And you got to be careful. There's got to be an ethics to it. Uh, mm -hmm. But let's, we, and we need to develop an ethics. And it's one of the things that I'm, I'm trying to think about how we do that. But I want to go, I want to, want to go Can back. I just say one thing to Yeah, that. please, please. So I think it's an in, in, inner, outer um, combination. Everyone who's listening has experienced that crotchety teacher or that, you know, horrible relative who just walks in a room and the energy just goes right out the door, the positive energy, and everyone feels it. What you're talking about, and you write about this so brilliantly in your book, The Psychosphere, is that it's there. It's palpable. We all have experienced this energy. We've all experienced it. And just like in the next day or two, just pay attention when you're walking into a room, when you're walking on a bus, when you're going somewhere and feel the energy, just tap into that psychosphere because it's always there all the time. These things are accessible to everyone. But the internal part is, I think it gets back to self-respect and self-compassion. If you feel that when you put a thought out there that you don't then immediately discount it, like, well, how could I think that I should speak at this global conference or be on this board? Like you don't start shooting on yourself or doubting yourself. You have to kind of hold it open because you're just putting it out there. No one's like listening to you and going to critique it. Um, so it's important when you have these intentions to keep them to yourself or share them with people who are loving and supportive, who get you, who respect you. Don't share it with people who are going to squash it before it's even been put into the psychosphere. I just wanted to share that with people because I see that happen a lot in my private practice that, you know, people are like, well, I haven't told anyone this and there's a lot of shame. And I think that prevents it from going out. Um, so Agreed. that's all I wanted to say. No, I, 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 I agree with that. Uh, that that's the counterpart of that is to... Uh, recognize that your anxious thoughts also go out there yes and it just how all this works uh, is still to be left for future understanding but we're just uh, kind of new at this even though there might be uh, more um, uh, tribes that have not been caught up in western thinking which there are fewer and fewer of them thinking about this way that we we have to learn how the negative thinking uh, or the feared thinking, or maybe this is going to happen, thinking helps somehow to increase it. I think we do things too. I think it's important to recognize that not only we put the thought out there, but we may subconsciously do things, say things that increase the likelihood of that intention of happening. It's not all just out there for people to, to, for something to happen magically. There is a little magic to it that definitely is beyond what we think is currently scientific, but we do things 
we do things without knowing that go here, go there, try this, say that, uh, go over to this person, talk to that person, that tend to help some of these things happen. And then we go, oh my, look, it happened, isn't that? But I like to look for the responsibility in the person for how, helping to make some of these things happen. Absolutely. You just mentioned something about negativity. So we know from science, there's been hundreds or thousands of empirical studies and written about in the scientific medical literature about the negativity bias, you know, to be primed for fear to be reactive so that historically we weren't eaten by a saber-toothed tiger, you know, when we were hunter-gatherers. But what I want to say to everyone is you have a negative thought. It happens several times a day, unless you're, you know, on the top of a mountain and you're in the meditation retreat. But you know, they say after the re after that uh, retreat comes the laundry. So you have the thought, and apropos to what Bernie just said, you have it. Don't try to stuff it or deny it. You had the negative thought, but then if you can let it go, just like we're talking about letting go the intention, don't hold it so tightly. It will dissipate, and everyone has this negativity bias. It's just how we're programmed. Um, so yeah. it's just uh, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah, yeah. Our amygdalas are there to fire up to make you be able to run just in case. Uh, it's the recognizing you have it, and then let being able to let it dissipate. Uh, I, I I like doing that. It's amazing how that happens. Oh, I did that, and she's going to be so upset with women. And then I'm now able to be confident that in two days I'll forget what I was just worrying about because it's, it's a lot. Martin Seligman did a lot of research in anxiety uh, when he was in Oregon and uh, and depression. Uh, and the, those are both states of depression. I mean, the learned helplessness was one of his uh, contributions. Uh, and somehow he got the idea that uh, the, us in the mental health professions are focusing on the negative a little too much. Of course, he was right. And Abe was able to see uh, still a huge hole in the way mental health professionals think about our patients, that we tend to, to look for the negative because we're looking for a DSM diagnosis so we can get paid insurance-wise, but we keep looking for the bad in people. Uh, rather than doing what uh, I think, and I don't know this, so I'm asking you this as part of a, a positive psychology thing. I, I, I've, I've learned to be able to not so much focus on the past and, and anxiety and bad things, but help people shape their future thinking in psychotherapy. And I think part of my responsibility as a therapist is to imagine better futures that fit with what is best for the patient in front of me. Yes, so a few things. Um, look back, don't stare. The past happened. So look back, can, don't stare. Okay. If we can learn from it and maybe see that 10-year-old Bernie or that 12-year-old Lisa and look at that part of ourselves with compassion so that we learn that's why I'm getting triggered. It didn't make any sense intellectually, but I'm getting triggered because, you know, when I was 12 years old and I walked home from school for lunch with my brother, the bullies jumped out of the bushes and beat the crap out of him because he had asthma and they were bullies. So I understand when my children were young and they were tussling and punching and fighting each other, which was a normal part of adolescent development. 
I was getting triggered, even though I knew they weren't going to end up in the emergency room. Uh, the thing you're talking about, Bernie, is uh, Best Future Self, which is the work of Dr. Laura King. It's one of the most powerful positive psychology interventions. And um, it's on my website, soaringwords.org, where if you just Google Dr. Laura King, you could see how to go through these prompts that she has, these appreciative inquiry prompts that have you look back at examples when you really flourished, look back at examples when you really felt confident and alive and in the moment and where possibilities were so there for you. And that's how you create this best future self. One of my dear friends and mentors, um, Dr. Shane Lopez, he studied hope and he wrote a beautiful book, Making Hope Happen. Um, tragically, he died very young, but um, he won the gold medal from the International Positive Psychology World Congress as the youngest aspirational scientist. And Shane talks about in his book, Making Hope Happen, how you can actively construct a hopeful present and future for yourself. Like that's all available to us. And when we put that out there, this hopefulness, like making hope happen, when we have a sense of agency that we're part of it, we're not just these little marionettes, you know, puppets being controlled, it gives us a sense of resiliency, agency, and um, just strength. It's a very powerful thing. And people will then pick up on that when it, we put that into the psychosphere. And how has uh, becoming a member of the Coincidence Cafe uh, helped you? Uh, that's, and, the, and the cafe is a, a group of people who uh, I like to say can get, let their freak flag fly uh, <laughs> and talk about weird stuff like coincidences, synchronicity, and serendipity um, and with, each, with people who won't say, are you, that's a little too much. What's wrong with you? I get to be, I'm a psychiatrist, so I say, I know what, what's true here i know what's real i can do that i mean it's nice to be anointed by by the public by public methods uh institutions to to know what reality is so i can do this i would still have to wonder about myself too but i was seeing things that i knew were there so how the cafe is a once a month zoom thing and you've joined it for over the last several months how has that influenced you well um Dr. Chris Mackey, who's also in the cafe, had invited me to come. And um, we have so many synchronistic stories of how we met um, walking into a 1600 person conference. And he was the first person I spoke to at a conference. And then he sent me his book, um, Positive Psychology and Synchronicity. And then four years later, when we were back at the same conference, this time in Australia, we both were walking into the conference center. And again, we were the first people that each of us saw. So when he invited me, I was really excited because I had decided that, uh, again, one of those big uh, .o birthdays, I had turned 60, COVID was you know, ravishing everything. And like, why hide this part of myself? You know, I've got all these fancy degrees, but I also think that the things that are invisible aren't any less real than the things that are visible. And I really wanted to deepen this part of my life experience and my contribution to humanity. So uh, the first time I came to the Coincidence Cafe, 
people were talking about, um, someone said, oh, I ran into a fox, a wild fox. And then like 10 people out of 22 said a fox story. And I said, you know, I've been living out of New York City for the past several months. And I also encountered some wild foxes three times. And I've never seen a fox in my life because you know, there aren't a lot of them uh, taking the subway or the buses in Manhattan. So that's just a, a fun example, but it's wonderful to be with kindred people where you can share your reality. And that's what I was mentioning earlier. It's, it's really important that you know whom, with whom you can share your intimate uh, intentions, experiences, dreams are so important as ways that we learn how to really be more in touch with these messages that all of us can get through the antenna all the time. So a, lo a lot of great things have come out of being in that um, community, including being a guest on your show. That's what you are. And uh, in Ecuador, as in other places of uh, people who are living in the jungle, um, wake up at 3 a.m. because they go to sleep at 6 p.m. because it's around the equator and the sun goes down at 6 p.m. almost every day. The sun doesn't shift the way it does where we are. And they get up at 3 a.m. and they tell each other their dreams. And there are other cultures that have done the same thing. What the Coincidence Project is uh, encouraging people to do is tell each other coincidence stories. And, and after you talk about the weather, tell a coincidence story. And th that's a fundamental element of what I am trying to have happen and help happen is get people to tell the stories. And Coincidence Cafe is a place where people can do that, just as you say, and continue to make it more possible, more friendly out there in the world to tell each other coincidence stories. As we're, as we're getting near the end um, for today, Lisa, um, one of the one one of to me the fun, one of the funny things about you besides seeing a fox in the in the big city um, that is that you also are tuned into nature and have uh, not only relationships with butterflies but other uh, living creatures out there in what we might call the wilderness. Could you tell us more about your connections with uh, uh, our friends in nature? Sure. So uh, after my brother Gary died. He had beautiful blue eyes and I started seeing blue jays always, often blue butterflies and blue jays. And I always saw them at the time when I needed them the most. In fact, sometimes when I would take a daily walk to the gym through Central Park, sometimes like blue jays would practically like be careening at my head. I had to duck. Um, then the last five years, the last nine years of my father's life, he had five strokes. And the last three weeks of his life, I moved into my parents' apartment and I was there like as a death doula to accompany him out um, of his physical body. And I said to him silently, because I was being a respectful daughter, daddy, when you die, you're gonna come to me as a red cardinal. And as I'm saying this in my mind, you know, thinking it, but saying it to him, holding his hand, I thought, well, first of all, the marketer in me, you know, the writer in me is like a red cardinal is kind of redundant, Lisa. <laughs> but I was perplexed because I didn't have a relationship with cardinals. You know, I think of the Catholic Church and the cardinals and the bishops. But I was like, okay. So my father passes away and 
um, I took time to heal and grieve. About four months later, I had been invited to speak at the Kripalu Institute, which is a four hour drive into Massachusetts from New York City. So I'm driving there and it's snowing and I'm driving there and I pull into the parking lot and I'm listening to the music and I'm singing and I park and I see out of my peripheral vision, something is fluttering and there's a tree stump right next to where I'm parking. And I turned very slowly, but I didn't need to because I knew that it was a red cardinal. There was a red cardinal parked right next to my car, at which point, of course, I burst into hysterical tears because I had been thinking, here I am, I've been invited to speak at this conference as a teacher, as a healer, as an inspiration. And I still was, you know, I didn't have my sea legs back because I was in my grief. Um, and the cardinal was right there at that moment to say, you've got this, show them your vulnerability, show them your love. And it was just such a meaningful conference. So um, that's Blue Jays and Cardinals and then Ladybugs. During the height of my son's illness- Before you tell us about the Ladybugs, sure. um, <laughs> what I'm doing right now is you saw a red heart for your brother, you saw yes. a red bird for, for your father and you're wearing a, a red blouse. Yes. <laughs> So is red a color of yours? Well, it's funny when I was, um, when my youngest son was younger, he'd say, who's your best friend, mommy? And I'd list like seven or eight people and he goes, mommy, who's your best friend? I was like, well, Joni is my best friend because we do this together. And Jessica's my best friend because we do this together. And Rose is my best friend. And so I have a lot of favorite colors. Red is the color of soaring words. Red is alive and energy and heart. Uh, sea foam is the ocean, which is a magical place. Um, so red is important to me. But as I said before, this message of the cardinal came to me. I didn't have um, that totem animal to be a, such an important part of my life. And as you can imagine, there's when we were living outside of the city during COVID, there was a bush outside of the bedroom window and every day this big fat cardinal would come there and that was his bush. My husband named him Carlos, which is the funny pet name for my father, Charlie. And every day I would see Carlos. So, um, you know, these things are not accidental. They're purposeful, they're meaningful, they're meaningful to me. And they give me a lot of um, hope and messages when I need them. Yeah, and you're open to them. Yeah, you are open to them. Uh, you are guided by them. They help you in your life's journey. It's a, a wonderful thing to hear. And what comes through, uh, and you're talking with me, Lisa, is the love that's in you. You have a lot of love in you, and you want to give it. You want to help. You want to put this love energy from your heart out there as best as you can and most efficiently as you can. And I think you're doing it. So way to go. Yeah. Thank you. You got my number. <laughs> I got your number. <laughs> well, I we... wanted to out you on your show by saying that you, Bernie Bat <laughs> Batman, Batman, one of your childhood, you know, models or superheroes that when I think of the work that you've done, I feel like it's when they put that bat signal out into the sky of Gotham, you know, there's a problem, there's help, you know, we need help. And it feels to me that the work that you're doing 
is with this higher noble calling to give people permission to tap into this human GPS, their inner knowingness, to talk and share coincidence stories with other people because it's such a wonderful thing to talk about instead of talking about the negative news and the calamities that are going on in the world to share these synchronicity stories and these coincidence stories so that we can learn and grow from each other and from ourselves. Thank you, Lisa. That's just what I'm doing. And I got I, your number. <laughs> you got my number too. So it, that that bat signal the, that went out over Gotham City to for Batman to show up uh, is one of my favorite images. So I thank you for thank you for getting it get, getting that to me. And uh, I, my grandson uh, loves Batman. Uh, he's a Batman. He loves Batman. So it's my grandson too. So. Well, we need to we need to close up our discussion today, Lisa. And I want to thank you very, very much for uh, for joining me on the show today. Thank you. I'm sending you strength and love. Thank you, Lisa. Bye bye. This psychosphere is a mental atmosphere like a Cosmic consciousness